So glad you're here today. I trust you'll be blessed. As Pastor Andy said, if you're here for the first time, please don't be nervous. Just hang out, enjoy. Uh, you know, we're just real people from Reelsville, and, and we want to help you connect with God because at the end of the day, that's all we want is to connect with God, connect with one another, and then watch God's faithfulness play out in our lives and in our community. We've been in a series we're kind of wrapping up today that we're calling Living Financially Free. And for the last four weeks, we've been talking about those biblical principles that will help us to get out from under the financial stresses that are so prevalent today and in the process, quite frankly, become the generous people we've always wanted to be. My experience is that uh, most of the time when we start talking about receiving the offering at church, and especially at a time like today when we're receiving the offering fit for a king, which is that annual kind of stretch our faith and see what God will do kind of thing that we do around here, uh, it, it comes down to, I, I want to give more than I think I can. I wish I could. I wish I would. I don't know if I have the faith to. Uh, there's that struggle that goes, so here's what I'm going to say to you today. When the offering time comes, I want you to reach into the pocket of the person beside you and give like you always wanted to. Fair enough? Fair enough. <laughs> Truth is, Americans are the most generous people on the planet. Well, they are. I mean, come on. I, I did a little bit of research this week. Uh, Americans gave more than $316.2 billion to charities last year alone. And that's not corporation kind of big dollar kind of things. That's 73% of that came from individuals. And not wealthy individuals. Here's the stunner that I ran across. 97% of charitable giving in America is done by people who make less than $50,000 a year. Those are the realities of the generosity of our nation and of our people. All the negative press that you hear these days, that's what America ultimately is about. And I thank God to be a Christian, but I thank God to be a Christian in America as well. So what point we've been simply trying to make throughout this series is that our God has promised to meet our needs. All we have to do is is handle the finances He blesses us with His way. That's the premise to the promise. And if we really believe that God will do that, then he will, in fact, do that. And so when we sing a song like God's faithfulness, uh, finances are a hit, uh, an issue. So here's what I've been trying to say the whole time. Let me just sum the whole series up in, in one little phrase, uh, and, and then I'm going to talk some more. Uh, it's, at the end of the day, money is not a money issue. Money's a faith issue. I mean, when at the end of the day, it comes down, do I really believe what the Bible says or not? And I don't, I, I don't have a clue why God chose money as the acid taste of our faith, but he did. When it comes down to it, that's the bottom line. I mean, time, uh, relationships, uh, all, all kinds of stuff that he could have made, that's the bottom line. But for most of us, money is the issue that becomes the real bottom line. Do I believe God's guarantee that if I will do this his way, he will get supernaturally involved in my financial life? Do I, do I believe that or not? And do I believe that 90% will go further than 100% would have? I mean, do I believe that or not? And that's the only question, really, ultimately, that we've been trying to raise throughout this series to give you an opportunity to ask yourself the honest question, how am I doing? How am I doing? Because God's faithfulness is dependent upon our level of faith. If you missed any of those messages, 
So let me encourage you to get them. You can go to info at bridgechurch.cc. I think put it up on the screen. There you go. You can get the manuscripts of all the messages that I've been bringing to you. Uh, whether you're here in the room, you're online, you're welcome to those things. You're welcome to study them, research the scriptures. Uh, give me feedback. Write back to me at jimwallatbridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to interact with you about that. And, and you're welcome to take those things and go teach them. All I ask is if you go teach them, the first time you teach it, say, I learned this from Dr. Jim Wall. The second time teach it, my pastor says, and the third time you teach it, you say, I've been teaching this for a long time. It's yours, okay? Good enough? Today, I want to I just lean into that faith issue. Because here's what, here's what I've come to understand through the years. You tell me if it's true for you. This journey to really, really, really honestly, tangibly believe in the faithfulness of our God uh, doesn't start the moment you give your life to Christ. Is it true? I mean, somehow we can trust him for our eternity, but our today is a little harder. Groceries, mortgage, that stuff's a little harder. Am I right? You hear it like this? Am I right? Yeah. And so what I found is that faith is a little bit like a muscle. You know, if you work that muscle properly, don't overwork it, you'll damage it. But if you work that muscle properly, what happens? It gets strengthened. It gets stronger. And if you do that well enough, long enough, properly, appropriately enough, you'll, actually, you'll get as strong as me before it's over. Ah, thought about being a bodybuilder, but they didn't like table muscles. So I just. So faith is kind of like that. The more you exercise your faith appropriately, I'm not talking about stupid, crazy stuff, you know, overuse, but. As you exercise your faith appropriately, it grows. Not because we get smarter, but because we see the faithfulness of God every time we do. And in time, our faith becomes not a matter of belief. It becomes a matter of observation. We see God's track record of faithfulness, and we say, wow, I want you to do that again. And I figured out how to get you to do it again. It is to be faithful to your word. So in the few minutes we've got, before I just saw the clock, I promise we'll try to rush through this. No, I won't. I'm just lying to you. I'm sorry. You are not going to beat the Baptist to the restaurant today. Sorry, not going to happen. Because uh, I really want to unpack this. This is, this is really important. I've discovered, for me at least, you tell me if it's true for you, that there are five levels of faith as it re relates to giving. And, and so what I want to do is I just kind of want to describe those levels uh, that I've been through and that I've seen so many others go through. And then I'm going to ask you simply to ask yourself the question, where, where am I? Where, where am I in this journey of, of, of being a faithful giver? You do understand that we serve a giver. So your head's like this. If you, for God so loved, he gave. That, that's who he is. He is a giver. And so as we serve him and as we serve him, uh, he is faithful to honor his word. Let me tell you up, uh, up front right quick, I am not at level five. There have been a few times that I think I made a level five expression, but most of the time I'm not at level five yet. I'm growing just like you are, but I hear, I want you to, all I want you to do today, this is not a beat yourself up zone, this is okay, where am I in this journey What's my next step? Okay? Is that, is that worth a few minutes of our time? Let's unpack this. I got one amen. That's all I need. <laughs> Let's just unpack this, and then we're going to bring an offering before the Lord.
this morning. Level one in this journey is simply what I call self-interest. Self-interest. 1989, Kim and I had been in the Philippines planting churches for 10 years, 9 years, 81 to 89. And we came home, but instead of coming home, we went to Hampton Roads, Virginia, and we started a new church. We had this dream of starting a church that that reached people who still believed in God, but somewhere along the way had given up on the church. And so we set out to do that. We, we, I don't have time to unpack all the details of that, but we set up the, the marketing campaign, the telephone calls that we made was designed to filter out anybody that went to church anywhere. It was just strictly people who still believed in God, but had given up on the church. And God did I mean, just amazing things. We're still blown away by the things that he did and the things that he continues to do in that church. We grew to 1,000 in the first seven years, and 90% of them were unchurched before they came to community church. It was just awesome to watch God at work. The problem, though, is that baby Christians, for the most part, were at level one of this journey, not level three, four, five. So the result is when we started a building fund, we got in financial trouble quickly. Because everybody said, oh, you want us to give to the building fund? That's what we'll do. They didn't understand biblical giving. And so they just shifted all their giving to the building fund, which meant the general fund went (laughs) down the tubes. And we found ourselves at the end of a summer not able to make payroll. And so I did something I've only done once in my life, never done it before, never done it since. I wrote a note to all of the members of the church. And I said, guys, here's the reality. More and more of you giving to the building fund, the, the general income of the church is higher than it's ever been, but the general fund's gone in the tank. I, I, we can't make payroll this weekend. Frankly, we need $3,900 this Sunday just to meet payroll. And at that time, the weekly offering was about $1,500. So we need more than twice our normal offering in the end of August, dead of summer. Uh, and I said, if you'll give... Uh, and get us through this, I promise you, we will live within our means. We will make whatever adjustments we have to, to live within our means. And so they came that Sunday, and it blew me away, because they came in with, with uh, uh, coffee cans full of coins. They, they came in with piggy banks and dumped them. They gave $10,000 that weekend. And so God, God be uh, glorified in that. They, they, just, they just responded in this wonderful kind of amazing way. But one guy in the midst of all of that is my favorite of the bunch. He was not a Christian. He, he told me, you know, I'm not sure I believe this stuff yet, but I really like it around here. These people are really nice, and I like to hear you talk, and I don't always understand what you're saying, but I like the way you say it. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, he said, so I think this place is important, so I have come up with a plan that will fix it. He heard what was going on. He said, this place is so awesome, you can charge at the door. <laughs> he said, in fact, I've already figured out the math. If you get 10 bucks a head at the door, right, that's a cheap show. There's a 10 bucks a head at the door. And then you get... $3 per child who's in school and $5 per child who's in nursery because that takes a little more workers and then charge 2 bucks for parking, we got it made. We got it covered. Now understand, this guy didn't have a clue about biblical principles of giving, nor did he care. He just saw value in the church and he wanted to make sure the doors stay open. Now you understand that, right? You understand that approach to giving. I mean, you've all been, you know, rec leagues and football fantasy leagues and things like that, and everybody's got to kick in their, pay their dues, and if you kick in your part, then this thing keeps going, and you're able to accomplish what needs to, and you're willing to do that because you get something from it. Is that okay? 
Sure it is. Of course it is. I know churches that do it that way. I know churches that, that, that come January, they're on the phone calling all of their members and say, okay, what's your pledge for this year? We've got a pretty good idea how much you make. And then they post on the bulletin board how much everybody's going uh, to give this year. And then you can go in there and you can see and mark off whether they're doing it or not. I know churches, I know denominations that do that. They say, what's your pledge? And, and we're going to pull your credentials if you don't do it. And I mean, that's just the way they operate. I'm not here to impugn them. I know churches that maybe not go that far, but they got brass plaques all over everything. Brass plaques on every chair and every window and every you know, table. And you know, we've all known churches like that. I'm not here to, to impugn them. I'm just saying, if you're following along with the Bible app, outline that I gave you this morning, you'll see that there is no scripture there. And the reason there's no scripture there. Because there is no scripture for this level of giving. It's not biblical giving. It's self-interest giving. Not invalid. If that's the level that you're giving at right now, God bless you for every dollar of it, for every penny of it. I promise you we will do our best to make sure that it, that it goes into keeping this place operating and accomplishing what we're trying to accomplish together. We'll steward it the best we can, okay? But please don't stay there for your sake. Level two. I've got to move on. Level two is what I call the gratitude level. And the gratitude level uh, is first found in, in uh, Psalms 116, verse 12, when King David said, what can I give the Lord for all the good things he has given me? This is the level of giving that comes when you begin to be personally impacted, not by you know, the church and the things that are going on in the church, but you actually begin to be personally impacted by what Jesus did for you. This is when your giving begins to grow out of your awareness of Calvary, and there's this gratitude for the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for you, and the result is you get a fresh start, a new life, you're a new creation, and because he gave you that free gift, you just want to respond. You're not earning it. It's a free gift, but you want to respond in thankfulness, and so giving for you becomes a, 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 an expression of thanks. That makes sense, right? Let me, let me make it personal. Um, for some of you, maybe uh, especially of my generation, I grew up in the Vietnam era. I'm a baby boomer. And so the only reason I didn't serve, quite frankly, is because we did a lottery in those days. Some of you guys remember the lottery or you heard about the lottery. And, and my lottery number was 361, and so I didn't get called. Uh, I didn't choose to enlist. I wanted to go to Bible college and enter the ministry, but if they'd called me, I'd have gone, and that's just that's what it was. And so for me, the Vietnam era was huge, and so the first time I went to the Vietnam Wall in D.C., how many have been to the Vietnam Wall? It's emotional, isn't it? It really is, And because uh, maybe, maybe not your generation, but your dad's or your granddad's, uh, grandma and grandma, uh, relate, you know, it was impacted. But anyway, I went to the Vietnam Wall, and I did what most of you did. I went looking for my name. <laughs> I'm not there, obviously, but maybe there's some other walls that are on the wall, right? I'm going down to looking for the W's, and in the process, I ran across the U's, and I saw the name Gary Utranian. And I got to be honest, it's emotional to talk about it right now. I grew up in Detroit. My best friend was David. Ukrainian lived across the road. His older brother was Gary. And it hit me, standing there looking at this wall, David lost his brother. Mr. and Mrs. Ukrainian lost their son. 
I get to be free because Gary died in my place. But I stood there at that wall and took my finger and I traced his name with my finger and I cried unashamedly out of this thanks for what he, he did. You get that, right? Maybe you're a, a desert storm or a desert shield era person, but you get that, right? Can we just stop right now and thank the families that have been directly affected by the wars that our country's had to deal with? Can we just thank you for your service? In those foreign fields and first responders here in the States, thank you, thank you, thank you. So you get that. There is this, what can I do to express my thanks? Because I didn't make it happen, but man, I benefit from the fact that it happened. For many of you, let's bring it back into the spiritual realm, for many of you, giving is at level. Jesus has done so much for me. There's this gratitude that I want to give back to him. You've moved beyond the self-interest level of, I like this church, therefore I'm willing to kick in a few bucks. This is an exciting place to be, therefore I'll, I, I want to give so it can stay. And you've come to the point where giving is now an overflow expression of appreciation for Jesus. We get requests all the time from people who are moving away, and a military or business or whatever, and, and they will contact us and they'll say, is there a church like the bridge in this town that I'm going to? Because they want to have this experience where they go. You, you know that, right? And, and you know what I always pray for? Maybe not always, but consistent. You know what I pray for when that happens? You know, we do our best to try to find them something, but, but I pray, Lord, I pray that this family has moved beyond the self-interest level of giving, at least to the gratitude level because odds are good that when they get to that new place they will not have the identical experience they're here and if they're still at the self-interest giving level they may not give at the level that they did when they were here and they will miss out on that blessing of being a giver so I pray that at the least they've moved to the gratitude level for what Jesus did not just the self-interest level of this church is cool I want to be a part of it. is it making sense so evaluate yourself guys how, how am I doing Self-interest, moving to gratitude, not here to guilt trip anybody for where you are, just asking you to be honest about where you are. Level three giving then is what I call obedience level. And that's where the relationship with God comes to the place where giving has nothing to do with self-interest. It, it even goes beyond being thankful. It comes to the place where you just say, you know what? He is God and I am not and he said it, therefore I will. Um, can I tell you that I, you won't be surprised by this. Can I tell you that I deal with Christians all the time, followers of Jesus all the time, who have not come to that level in any area of their lives? Where they will look at me and say, uh, can you help me sort this out? And I will tell them what the Bible says, and they will say, thank you for telling me what the Bible says. Now I have to figure out what's true for me. And I know pendulums swing. I grew up in the church era where it was legalistic and it was guilt-based, and there was a whole lot of teaching about God's going to get you if you don't do this kind of stuff. And our pendulum kind of swung to the other side where now we sing and talk a lot about the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. And we ought to because all of those things are true. But somehow along the way, we've moved from God is the sovereign king of the universe to God's my bud. Me and God are buddies. Well, I'm sorry. He loves you, but he ain't your buddy. You and God ain't peers. Me and God ain't peers. He is God. I am not. Say it with me. 
he is God, I am not. So you might remember the bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You remember that one? It was around a lot. Still see it now and then. I, I saw that the first time I saw it, I liked it. I thought that's pretty cool. But then I realized that, that's just an absolutely false statement. It is not God said it, I believe it is settled. It's God said it, it's settled. Whether I believe it or not is beside the point because he's God. And so we come to that place where we recognize that I get the privilege of being in a loving, merciful relationship with the God of the universe who spoke and the world came into existence. So I want to know what he's saying. And when he speaks, I want to obey. There's a great example of this in Jesus' life when he was here. In Matthew chapter 8, the soldier comes to him one day, an army officer, and, and he says, my, my servant is sick, and, uh, and if you will, I, I believe you can heal him. And Jesus' response was, uh, okay, I, I'll be glad. I'll come to your house and I'll heal him. Pick up the story in, in uh, Matthew 8, 8, because the officer's response was fascinating. He said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Are you kidding me? I'm just a human and you're God. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. You only need to command it and my servant will be healed. In other words, I know who you are. I know how much authority you have. You, you don't have to do anything other than just say it. It's done. Jesus responded this way. Here it is, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed he said to those who were following him, I tell you the truth, this is the, you want to read it with me? This is the greatest faith I have found even in Israel. He turned to his own disciples and said, this guy's got more faith than you do. That's what he said. Why? Because he'd done all these amazing things? No, because he understood I'm talking to the king of kings. I'm talking to the guy that created it, and because he created it, he gets to make the rules. So when somebody calls you being judgmental for telling them what the scriptures say, says, I'm just the messenger. God wrote the book. You can decide what you want to do with the truth. I'm going to love you, whatever you do. Pastor called me one time. He said, I quit. I'm done. I, I, I got this guy, I've been working with him. It was obvious what he needed to do. He did the exact opposite. If I can't get somebody to do something obvious, then I'm done. I said, it's not your job to get him to do anything. And he said, what? No, sir. It is not your job to get somebody to do anything. It's your job to tell them the truth and love them, whether they get it right or not. And if they get it right, celebrate with them. And if they get it wrong, help them pick up the pieces later. That, that's your job. That's our job, guys. But at the end of the day, it's all about do I believe what he says? And does he have the authority to speak into my life at that level? I find in Scripture that there are two types of you only need to command it kind of givers. First type, of course, is the tithe. We talked about earlier that in the series, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I, it looks like Malachi to me. Sound it out. Come on. Okay, Malachi 310. All right, I'll go along. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. What's the food in the storehouse in practical terms? What is it? 
It's the building you're sitting in. It's the chairs you're sitting on. It's the lights that illuminate this room. It's the salaries for the people that are giving their lives to serving you full time. That, that's what it is. It's the equipment. It's the kids' supplies. That, that's the food that comes into the storehouse, and that comes out of the whole time. That's why community church got in trouble that time because they weren't bringing the tithe, which means we didn't have all of that stuff. They started giving it all to the building fund, right? Building fund is free will offerings. That's the second type. It's beyond the tithe. It's given freely. But hear me say, I've got to move on, but, but I want you to hear me say this. And free will offerings are, giving, are given by free will. In other words, it's as the Holy Spirit prompts. Look at Leviticus chapter 22, verse 18, 19. If a person living among you offers a spontaneous free will offering, it will only be acceptable to the Lord if, if what? It is without defect. Well, how can an offering be with defect? Hear me. If you bring an offering, whether it's today or any day, because I or any speaker talked you into it, it's a defective offering. If you bring an offering because you think you're going to get something because you brought an offering, it's a defective offering. If you bring an offering because you think if you give more than somebody else in the church, you'll then have more influence over the decisions of the church, it's a defective offering. It is a spontaneous free will offering when God says, here's what I want you to do, and you say, okay, you're God, I'm not, I will. That's a spontaneous free will offering. No hidden agendas, no ulterior motives. Just simply led by the Holy Spirit to do something and ultimately meet a need. I know uh, if you've been a Christian very long, you get confronted with lots of needs. Am I right? I mean, watch television for a while. There's a never-ending supply of children that are hungry. There's a never-ending supply of needs around the planet. There's a never-ending supply of organizations out there saying, please give 27 cents a day. There's, there's a never-ending supply of that. In fact, there's far more of that than you have resources to meet. Can I get an amen in the room? And so Christians will look at that and, and feel guilty because they can't give to all of them, but you're not supposed to give to all of them. You're supposed to give to the ones that the Holy Spirit says, that's one. Lean into that one. That's one I, I, I have custom designed for you to be a part of and I want you to give to that one. And, and here's what we've decided in advance. God, you are the commander-in-chief. When you speak, my answer is yes. That's it? Yeah, that's it. When you speak, my answer is yes. And ultimately, that's what Offering Fit for a King that we do once a year around here is all about. It's, a, it's an opportunity for you at least once a year to stop and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me about my financial life? Are you saying that I need to be more consistent in tithing? I'm going to do it once. If I never do it again, I'm going to do this thing one time. If you're already consistent in that area, then God, is there a free will offering that you want me to bring? You give me the number and I, and I will, the answer is yes. And I'm going to trust that whatever number you give me, you're going to not only make it up, but you're going to bless me the way you promised to. You're going to meet my needs. Now, those of you that are married, you've got your own way of doing things. Uh, Kim and I, through the years, ha have uh, we come to opportunities like this. And, and I'll say, okay, Kim, you go pray, and I'll go pray. And then uh, at some point during this thing, we'll come together. And I'll say, Kim, what number has the Lord given you? And she'll say, Jim, what, the Lord, what number has the Lord given you? And, and we brought that conversation right up until this morning. 
In fact, before first service, she came sat next to me and she said, you haven't told me your number yet. <laughs> I said, I know, you haven't told me yours. And, uh, and she said, well, here's the minimum I think we're supposed to do. I said, good. I thought that was the minimum too. So let's do twice that. She said, okay, good, let's do it. And so that's, we just came to agreement about what we were going to do. And we gave our offering fit for a king this morning, believing that that's what God had told us to do, because I trust her to hear from God, she trusts me to hear from God, and together we trust God to do more than we dare to dream or think or ask he will do. Level three giving is about, you said it, the answer is yes, sir. I think I'm at level four. Might have been at level five a few times in my life, but I think for the most part, I'm at level four. And I dare say that there's a number of you here today that are at level four as well. And I call that the vision level. The vision level. People at this level have already given out of, I want to keep this place going. They've already given out of a grace-filled heart. They've already given because they sense God told them to tithe. He told them to give a free will offering. They've already given to that point. But now they've matured to the point that they actually view the world through a completely different lens. They, ju they just look at the world differently than they did before they came to this point of maturity. They, they, these people have come to realize the world is in a mess. Am I the only one that thinks that? But more than that, they've come to the conclusion that the only hope for the world is the transforming power of Jesus Christ manifest through the local church. I'm convinced the local church is the hope of the world. I mean, I lead a prayer church organization that trains pastors and church planters and missionaries. But you know what we do? We train them to get into the local church and serve in the local church. Because I'm convinced that the local church is the hope of the world. It is the institution that God created for the purpose of, of exacting his grace to the world. Lots of good prayer church organizations out there. But at the end of the day, I think it should come through the local church. At the end of the day, the only hope for the world is the transforming work and power of Jesus Christ. Peter Drucker, who was, some of you in the business world know that name immediately. Peter Drucker was probably the, the preeminent business consultant in the country for many, many years in the, in the second half of the 20th century. Um, later in his life, he came to know Jesus. And here's what he wrote late in his life. He said, most things in the world aren't working anymore. Government doesn't seem to work very well anymore. Business has got all kinds of problems. The educational system's in a turmoil, and healthcare is in a crisis. There's only really a couple of places in all of society that have the power to transform human lives. In my remaining years, he said, I'm going to give myself, my expertise, my resources, to organizations that are actually doing something. The longer Drucker lived, the more he realized, I've got one and only one life, and I need to do something that has eternal significance with that life. At this level, this vision kind of level, you realize that you've got to do something 
that makes a difference in this world. There has to be purpose and meaning and a sense of being uh, not just loved and, and being loved, but a sense of having done something worthwhile with your life. And you start searching for places and opportunities to pour your resources and even your time and your talents into to make that thing happen. I'm here to tell you again that for me, that's the local church. William Bennett, former Secretary of Education, said it this way, I submit to you that the crisis of our time is spiritual. What, affect, what afflicts the U.S. as a nation is the corruption of the heart and the turning away of a soul. Nothing has been more consequential in the unraveling of our society than large segments of American society privately turning away from God. And to turn things around, there must come a widespread personal, spiritual renewal. I believe that to the core of my being and to the place where I'm at the place where the only thing I long for is more time, more talent, more resources to make more difference. That's it. To come to that place where where I can pour myself out in a way that actually matters, which means to say no to some things that I'm not supposed to be doing in order to say yes to some things that I believe God put me on the planet to do. And I'm just going to be honest with you very clearly, uh, without, uh, without apologizing, I do not apologize for suggesting to you that it may well be that the most spiritually significant thing you do with your entire life is to invest in the Bridge Church. Because this church is making a difference. In hundreds of lives, in thousands of lives, this place is making a difference. And I don't apologize for that to you because that's what I'm doing. Why would I do it and then apologize to you for suggesting you do the same? What am I saying? I'm saying God wants to make a difference through your one and only life. Not just for your one and only life, but through your one and only life. Vision givers have come to that place where you're scoping out those areas those fine-tuned, laser-beam kind of areas where this is where I'm going to invest myself, this is where I'm going to invest my resources, this is where I'm going to invest my life. And yes, some of us will give up the corporate world. Some of us will give up the business world. Some of us will give up all those other things in order to give our full time to that. Others will send those who do it. Pastor Lawrence Bates was our executive pastor at the church in Chesapeake. Uh, He was the... uh, vice president of medical services for the Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters, uh, which is a half a billion dollar a year operation. He was a member of our church and he came to me one day, made an appointment, he came to me one day and he sat down and said, Jim, I'm supposed to give the rest of my life to ministry. Do you have anything I can do here? So let me see. You've managed a half a billion dollar year corporation, 500 doctors. Yeah, I could probably think of something. (laughs) In fact, I've been praying for an executive pastor. He said, I'm your man. I said, do you realize how little I'm going to pay you? (laughs) He said, I've seen the treasurer's support of the church. I know what you can afford to pay me. This is no longer about money. I have to give the rest of my life to something that eternally matters. Lawrence is with the Lord now. And our church is eternally blessed for the 10 years that he gave us because of it. Some people go, other people send. 
It's been true from the beginning. Ezra chapter 1, way back in Old Testament days, now all of you who are God's people are free to go to Jerusalem and build the temple of the Lord, give up everything, sell everything, pack up everything, go back to your homeland and build the temple of God. You're free to go. Those of you who stay behind should support anyone who wants to go. Give them silver and gold, supplies and cattle. Give them special gifts for the temple of God in Jerusalem. It begins with self-interest. It moves to gratitude. In time, it becomes an act of obedience. God said it, therefore I will. From there, it becomes this act of vision. I want to be a part of making a difference in my world. And then finally, level five, level five, it becomes an act of worship. Giving becomes an act of worship. Let me be clear before we unpack that. I am praying that more and more and more people who call the bridge home will become owners in this house, will take ownership of what this place is doing so that we can make more difference. I just, I'm praying for that. I'm praying that you will hear the voice of God and that you will give today. But at the end of the day, I'm praying that more and more of us will not quit this journey until we come to that place where giving doesn't even make sense. It's just an act of worship. One of my favorite examples is in Jesus' life, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 38. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived in a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Got the picture now? Musicians are coming to the stage. We're going to get back into song. We're going to sing that song about his faithfulness again. But picture this. While they're coming, she's a woman who has quite a reputation in town of having lived a sinful life, and Jesus has changed it all. It's given her a fresh start, given her a new life, and now she's found out where he is. And she's come to the house where he's gathering for dinner, and there she is, kneeling at his feet, and she's weeping out of this sense of, wow, I'm in the presence of Jesus himself. And in that moment, it says she wiped his feet with her hair, she kissed his feet, And she poured that alabaster jar of perfume on them. I'm told by scholars that that jar of perfume probably cost something in the neighborhood of a year's wages. The accountants went crazy. They said, that doesn't make sense. You're not a wealthy person. You can't afford to give away a year's salary. This is crazy. Why, why would you do something like that? I mean, it made no sense to them. And she looked at them going, what you're saying doesn't make sense to me. Because this wasn't about self-interest. It wasn't even about gratitude. It wasn't even about obedience. It wasn't even about a vision for the world. It's just simply because I love him. And I can't not bring it all. The widow woman came and gave her last two pennies. Why? Because she loved him. Joseph of Arimathea gave the tomb that had been prepared for his own burial. He said, I don't want it. You can have it. I want Jesus to have that. Why? Because he loved him. Can I tell you that I'm praying 
to be at a vision level, giving. And I'm praying beyond that to be a worshiper in my giving. That I don't crunch the numbers in my head. I don't check my savings account. I don't, I don't kind of figure out what I think I can afford and then stretch it a little bit. I, I, I want to I get past that point where I just give because of my love for him. Now again, what did I say was that thing about giving an offering that has a defect? If, if, if you're about to give and the offering fit for a king or, or any offering that you ever bring to this church or anywhere else, if you do it because some well-spoken speaker talked you into it, I'm not sure it counts in eternity. Or we'll use it. I'm just sure it accrues to your benefit. If you give for some ulterior motive, I'm not sure it counts. But if you give, as the Lord has spoken, I have no doubt whatsoever that our God is a faithful God. So the musicians are here. They're going to lead us back into that song. I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. And we're going to sing this song again just to remind ourselves of his faithfulness. And as we do, there are receptacles down here at the front. I'm going to ask you to come, bring your golden envelope. Is an expression of your offering that's fit for a king. If you're not prepared for that, that's fine. Uh, you can bring it next Sunday. We'll be glad to receive it. You're watching online. There are several ways you can give digitally. You can participate and be a part of this thing. Get involved. Be a part of it. Maybe you didn't come prepared today because you didn't know it was offering fit for a king. Whatever. You can bring your regular tithe and offering. But today, we're going to say, Lord, I want you to stretch me to the next place from self-interest to gratitude, to obedience, to vision, to an act of worship. So you bring your offering as Pastor Jared leads us. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. You never failed me yet. I know the love. 
still stands great is your faithfulness faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my Still in your hands, 
Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the way you're going to show yourself powerful for the lives of people that have stepped out by faith today, believing your promise. Thank you in advance for the blessings that will come, not only to those who have given, but the hundreds and even thousands of people around us who desperately need Jesus. I believe with everything in me that the best days of the bridge are yet to come. I believe we're going to see more salvations in the future than we've seen in the past. I believe we're going to have more people seeing life transformation and marriages healed and financials restored and addictions broken than we've ever seen before. I believe our best days are ahead. And as we work together in unity until you come, all we ask is that you pour out your anointing through us for the needs around us. Show your faithfulness, not just to us, but through us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Thank you guys so much for being in the bridge today. Thank you for watching online. Maybe you've made a commitment to Christ for the very first time today. Would you send me a text and let me know? Hashtag new life. I'm going to pray for you this week. Stop by the VIP table. First time guest. We got a gift. Says thank you for coming. God bless you guys. Starting a whole new series next Sunday. You want to be here for that. See you then.